welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. All right. Well, we're going to continue our series called On Mission. Everyone say On Mission. And I started with this illustration last week, and I feel to start with it again, the illustration of a laptop computer. Many of us in this room would have a laptop computer or some form of technology, maybe a desktop computer. Maybe you have an iPad or an iPod. But whatever it is that you have, all of them are designed to go into hibernation when not in use. And in order to wake up your piece of technology, you've got to push certain buttons. Well, the church is not unlike a laptop computer or a form of technology that when not in use, it goes into hibernation. And uh, I feel one of my primary roles as the senior leader of this church is to push your buttons in order to wake you up. Because the church always drifts into sleep mode, hibernation mode, when not in use. And so we are here on mission. And the purpose of this series is to wake us up and to get us on mission or to keep us on mission if we are presently on mission. Either way, we need to stay on mission. And I mentioned very quickly last week that the purpose of our mission is redemption. The redemption of mankind is the purpose of our mission. The plan is the gospel. It's the gospel that can set people free and bring redemption to humanity. And the people God wants to use is guess who? You and I, the church. So that's the purpose, the plan and the people God desires to use. Last week, I spoke about the motivation of the mission. We talked about that being one of love and we looked at God's great love. And this morning, I want to turn to the book of Mark. Mark was an eyewitness account of all that took place in Jesus' life. And he wrote down some of those things that he saw, some of the things that he heard. And we have the privilege today of being able to read from his very writings that were written down about 2,000 years ago. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus entered again, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, you would have read this, I'm sure, many, many times. This this story of the the paralyzed man that Jesus healed and the, the incredible friends that he had. And in the time that we have this morning, I want to delve into this account, delve into this story and uh, ask ourselves four questions. When it comes to us being on mission, we have to answer these four questions. These are four questions we see answered by these men in this story. And my first question that I want to ask this morning is simply this. Who is in your world? Who is in your world? 
The Bible says in John 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. For many of us, the world is just too large to comprehend. We can't imagine actually being able to save the whole world. But a better question to ask is, who is in your world? God has not only put us in the world, He's put us in a world. And in that world, that's the world where we live. It might be the street that we live on, the home that we live in, the place where we work, the place where we go to school or university. My question is, who's in your world? Who is in your world? That's more reachable. To think that we can save the people in our world is more reachable and doable than thinking that we're going to save the whole world. I want to take pressure off you today. Forget the whole world for a moment and think your world. Who is in your world? Who's in your sphere of influence? Who do you work with? Who do you go to school with? Who do you go to university with? Who do you hang with? What sports do you do? Who's involved in those sports that you play? Who's in your world? You see, this story is as much relational as it is supernatural. Granted, a great miracle takes place. This paralysed man ends up being healed by Jesus and we often think, wow, we make the story about the miracle. But the biggest miracle in this story is not the ability that Jesus has to heal people. The miracle for me is one of friendship. That this paralysed man had people in his world that cared for him enough to pick him up. Who have you picked up for church lately? These men, they picked him up. They carried him. Do you know carrying affects the way you walk? When you're not carrying anything, you just stroll along life, it's easy. But when you're carrying something, have any of you ever carried a piece of furniture? It slows you down. It's exhausting. You can lose your temper. Get out of the way, I'm coming through. Sorry. It's not until you got me to the way. Oh, sorry, Mick, I didn't mean to shout. I was just dying. Some of us are so good at Christianity because we're doing nothing. We're not carrying any weight. We know all the answers, but we're not doing anything. These men picked him up. Who are you picking up for church? They carried him. Who are you carrying? Who are you helping through a situation? See, this man could not do what he wanted. He was unable to do what he wanted. So they helped him in his inability. Who are we spending time with and being able to help them? These men picked him up. They carried him. When you carry people at times, it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. Your hand begins to get sore. Swapping hands. Oh my gosh, just put him down. Let's just leave him there. We're going to get to church. Let's just leave him there. But they didn't. 
They stayed with the one that was in his world. The miracle is that he had people in his world that cared for him. People that picked him up, people that carried him. My question to you is this. Who do you really care for? See, church isn't hard. Christianity is not hard. It's just a matter of care. Who do you really care for? The Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. He actually got out of his comfort circles and went to people and befriended them. We had a situation just this week. Kidgo was on. One of the mums was dropping off their young child for the very first time to Kidgo. She was one of the 188 kids that have never been to Kidgo before. And she noticed we have a great resource centre. And uh, she asked one of the workers, the volunteers, um, is that going to be open so that I could buy something? And he, he didn't know. But he did come and ask me and said, hey, hey Tony, um, uh, is the resource centre going to be open at any stage? No pressure, just there was a woman who actually asked about it. And uh, I just thought, what an opportunity. All of a sudden... My world just got bigger. There's someone now in my world that wasn't in my world till that day. My world just got a little bit bigger. And I saw the opportunity. And so we arranged, come pick up time, that our resource centre was going to be open. And it was. And unbeknownst to me, the woman did come back and she did pick up her children. A miracle of miracles. And she went to the resource centre and bought what she saw in the window that she previously couldn't buy because it wasn't open. And the person that told me that this woman wanted the resource centre open helped the woman join the dots with the church. And he, and he said this, he said, you know, it was our pastor who actually um, arranged for this to happen because he heard that you wanted it open. And she was chuffed that the pastor of the church would open the resource centre for her. But here's the cool thing. Come Friday night at youth, she brought her child to youth for the very first time. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. Now, I don't know if you've joined the dots yet. But that didn't involve too deep a theology. It just involved a whole heap of care. And I thought, wow, my world's just getting a little bit bigger. I said last week that it's never been easier to be on mission than it is right now. With resource centres and cafes and kid go programs and winter camps. I mean, it's just, it just gets real easy if we just care enough. And so my first question is, who's in your world? Who are you working with? Who are you doing life with? My second question then is, having established who's in your world, where are you taking them? 
These men were taking their paralysed friend where he couldn't go by himself. They were taking him to Jesus. In other words, they realised that their friendship was more than just about their pleasure. But they were going to attach a purpose to their friendship. See, one of the best things about friendships is one of the worst things about friendships. A lot of friendships can become very self-gratifying. You can go to church, meet Jesus, have an incredible God encounter, meet some incredible people that become our friends. And because we're enjoying this new sphere of influence, this new friendship circle, we just enjoy the friendships. And we lose focus and perspective of why we have these people in our world. Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. See, the, the heart behind the great commandment was discipleship, not friendship. You've got to catch this. Granted, you can't just go up to someone you don't know and start speaking into their life. You, you, need, you need a bridge of friendship first. But let's be honest, some people who we've had in our world for years, we've had friendships for years and we've never, ever, ever challenged them about anything. Because we don't want to lose the friendship that we have with the person. And if we're afraid to lose people in our world, we'll never ever be on mission like Jesus was on mission. He risked every friendship that he had. He risked his friendships with the disciples and he risked the friendships of those that he was reaching out to. We have people in our world that are our friends, family members. And we're getting on really well right now. And you're thinking to yourself, but if I bring up Jesus, it's just going to ruin the friendship. My question is, where are you taking your friends? What are you doing with the friendships that you have? And if your friendships have become all about keeping your friendships, you're not being a friend. The church will never come to a place of maturity while we don't want to upset people. You may have noticed Jesus upset a few people in his time. Not intentionally, but just because there's always that risk when it comes to human nature. And so these men made the most of who was in their world by taking this man to Jesus because he couldn't get there by himself. And so they were able to help him in an area that he was unable to help himself in. Now the friend that you're trying to reach out to may not be paralysed, but he might be paralysed with fear. A lot of people are afraid of coming to church. A lot of people are scared stiff to come to church because their perception is church only want your money, it's a cult, etc., 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 and we have the opportunity to disarm them 
and to help them and to carry them. And so, look, I, I, I know you've got some fears and concerns about the church, but you know what? I, I want to I help you. I'll pick you up and I'll carry you to church and I'll sit with you and I'll answer your questions and I'll walk you through this journey, even if it takes 18 months, Norm. This is the church on mission. This is the church being the church. This is what we are called to do. Unfortunately, we use our friends too often as a form of comfort and entertainment at the expense of development. So my question is, do your conversations take people and lead people to Jesus? When someone comes to you with a wind or a complaint, do your conversations take people to Jesus? I could never forgive that guy after all he's done to me. How about we take people to Jesus? They're obviously unable to get there by themselves. And we remind them of the story of Jesus when he hung upon the cross and he said these words, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Listen, let's just breathe life into the situation. Hey, don't talk like that. You never forgive. Don't, don't you understand? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. This is going to kill you. Come on, let's look to Jesus. Anyone who's a friend, you're going to talk like that. We don't want to just go along with them because that's not being a friend that's going to hold people in bondage. And so I want to encourage you to be bold and be strong and be courageous with the people that are in your world. Let's take them somewhere. I got three great kids, and they really are great kids. But they haven't always enjoyed what I've had to say to them. They haven't always wanted to go where I want to take them. And so sometimes I have to use force. Sometimes I have to use stronger words. Sometimes I have to lift my voice to be heard. Why? Because I love them. Imagine being a parent. And the very first time your ch children, child says, I don't want to go to school. And we say, okay then. <laughs> Me and you would hang, we'd be buddies. That's not being a parent. Yes. It's not being a friend. It's to hold a person in dumbness. <laughs> you're not helping them. You're not loving them. You're not caring for them. You're not being kind. Every one of our kids have said, I don't want to go to school today at some time or another. And I've had to teach them about the bigness and the purpose and the point to having an education. Dad, school sucks. I said, I know it does. It does. But that's got nothing to do with you getting there and learning. And so because I agree with their it sucks statement, now I've got them, they're listening. So do you know why it sucks? Because your attitude sucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I thought you were saying school sucks. I said, oh, yeah, it does for you. Because the way you're seeing it. Yeah. Norm's a great guy, but to you he might suck. <laughs> you're just not seeing it the right way. Yeah, but you don't know, Tony. I, I saw Norm at the plazas and he didn't wave to me. I waved, I, I waved profusely. He didn't wave to me. He sucks. 
I said, no, 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 your attitude sucks. Maybe he didn't see you. Come on, let's get on mission. Whinging and complaining and keeping people small is not being on mission. My third question, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? You see, these, these four men, they couldn't get into the room. Why? Because there was too many people. In other words, it was the people that became the problem. Often the biggest hindrance to people coming to Christ is Christians. I want you to imagine this little scenario that we've read. Jesus is in the house. I mean, that's what every preacher wants. Every preacher wants Jesus in the house so they can stand up with a microphone and say, Jesus is in the house. We do. We just, it's just a great line. We want Jesus in the house so we can say, Jesus is in the house. We want it to be an awesome meeting so we can say, wasn't that awesome? That's all. And here he is. Jesus is in the house. Quite literally, he's in the house. It's every leader's dream. And let's face it, we all come to hear great preaching. And here he is, Jesus himself is preaching. It's got to be great. You've got Jesus in the house. He's preaching a great word. I mean, this is like church on steroids. This is church at its best. And there's stacks of people. So much so that people can't even get into church. I mean, I pray and drink. Jill, don't we? We dream for that. We pray for that. We celebrate every other church that's got that problem. We say, yeah, bless them, Lord. (laughs) Jesus is preaching. The place is full. Miracles are happening. Prophecies coming forth. People are speaking in tongues, they're clapping their hands, they're dancing, they're doing whatever it is that they do in church. It's a great meeting. I've just got one problem with this scenario. The person that needs Jesus most can't get in. What's stopping him? People. See, it's easy to say we we want to be on mission. But my question as a leader of the church is, what are we doing as a church that's stopping people that need Jesus most coming in? And that's why I feel a God-given stirring to change whatever needs to be changed in order that the people that need Jesus most can always come in. It seems like everything we do that is slightly different to the way things have been done is met with opposition. But I say we must push through the opposition if we are to be a church that's on mission. And so my job as the senior leader of this church is to always ask, what are the blockages? And some of the greatest blockages are wrong attitudes. 
And probably the worst attitude is when we make church all about us. All about us. I've got a good friend of mine who was telling me a story just the other day. They had a baby dedication service. It's a church of about 300 people. 100 visitors came that day. People had never been in the church. That's a good day, isn't it? That's what we pray for. That's, you know, that, that's, that's an incredible number. You would think everyone in the church would be happy about that. He said he was in the foyer welcoming all this. This was great. This was going to be the greatest service ever in the history of this church. And he saw one of his regulars get up and, and start walking out. And he said to them, where are you going? And they said, we're leaving. We can't get a seat. This is our church. It's not their church. They're just coming for the dedications. This is our church and we can't get a seat in our own church. The pastor was shocked. He was like, he, he said, you, you can't go. You can't leave. He puts his friendship on that. He says, you can't leave. This is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been believing for. This is what you said yes and amen to. You can't leave. He goes, well, we are. We're leaving because I can't get a seat. He said, no, 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 that's not true though. You have got a seat. You can have my seat. I'll stand. You've got a seat right down the front. And now his excuse was gone. And this is about 15 minutes before the church service started. He stood there for 15 minutes like... I've just lost my excuse, but I've still got my anger. And I've still got my attitude. See, it was never about the seat. It was addressing something deeper. It's always something deeper. When people say, he said this, or she said that, or my seat, or the volume of the music, there's always something deeper, always. Long story short, he told me that come the start of the service, this gentleman and his wife sat down on the front row in my friend's chair, in his wife's chair, as they stood he said this, his wife came up to him, put his hand, her hand on his arm, and said, thank you, you're a good man. Which translate, my husband's an idiot. <laughs> These wrong attitudes, it's a massive blockage yeah. to the church. We're not going to open the resource centre. That's only open on Sunday. If they want to come, they can come Sunday. It's a massive blockage. This, this attitude, a bad attitude is a massive blockage. Small thinking is a massive blockage. When we say this is enough, I mean, this is great. We're in very dangerous territory because this is good. If this is all about us, then we've got enough. But this is not enough because it's not all about us. It's too small a thinking. Why do I need any more, Tony? I've got everything I need. We've got great worship. We've got great this. We've got great preaching. We've got great facilities. We've got great this. We've got great that. We've got great... That's true, but that's not the point. The point is there's others who don't have all this. When we say this is enough, our thinking's too small. 
Some of the other blockages are irrelevant methods. We've been criticized and misunderstood because of the monies that we've spent on certain items like lighting and, and music and, and, and facilities. But we live in a world that is full of those things. We're just trying to be relevant to the people in which we live. If we lived in another part of the world, this wouldn't be relevant. But God has placed us here in Adelaide and we can't be ashamed about that. We can't complain about that. We've got to say thank you, Jesus. I, for one, am glad that I live in Adelaide. Adelaide is the most livable city on the planet. It's awesome. And so let's just work with what God has given us. If we was in uh, you know, deepest, darkest Africa, maybe all this would be a waste of money, a waste of time. But we're not in that. We're here. This is our world. This is who God said, I, I want to entrust the people of Adelaide to this group of people. And I, and I hope they are wise and mature. Some of the songs that we want to sing as part of our unplugged service next week were radical, cutting-edge songs once. The songs that we call hymns, many of them written by John and Charles Wesley, that just went into the pubs, listened to the local tunes, and put Christian words to secular sounds, and we call them hymns today. And we said, oh, I felt the anointing when we sung that hymn. Unlike these new songs. Are you kidding me? These songs that we call anointed were birthed in opposition and fire. We, we need... <laughs> we need to stay relevant. The message doesn't change. The method has to. The method has to change. The message never changes. When Jesus was dealing with fishermen, he spoke about fishing. Why? Because they were fishermen. When he was speaking to shepherds in the rural community, he spoke about sheep. Why? Because that's what they knew, that's what they understood. You'll never hear me talk about sheep because we don't live in New Zealand. <laughs> and you won't ever hear me talk about fishing because it's a stupid sport. I mean, it's just a stupid sport. God bless all the fishermen out there. I, I wasn't made for just throwing in a line and waiting for days. That's not fun to me. That's just not fun. If you want to take me fishing, make sure I catch a fish within the first five minutes or I'm done. And point number four, question number four. How far are you prepared to go? These four men went to great lengths. Again, picture it. Don't, don't just read the Bible as just words on a page. Picture it. They've picked up their mate. They've carried him for some way. Yeah, you know, they've probably got a sore lower back, sore hands. Maybe they said, hey, you know what? My back's killing me. Let's have a bit of a rest. I don't know what it looked like. Maybe they said, you know what, my right hand's getting sore. Can we just swap sides? Maybe, they, maybe that's what it looked like. I don't know. But I know whatever it looked like, they ended up getting him. And then, after all this lower back pain, sore hands, thinking about ditching their friend a long time ago, they get to the place of destination. And are you kidding me? It's full. You would think they could just say, hey, mate, we tried. <laughs> Drop him, rub their back and say, we're out of here. 
But there's a tenacity within these friends. They're like, it's full. And they're thinking, what can we do? See, there's a difference between wanting to get your friends to Jesus and having to get your friends to Jesus. These men had, we have to get our friend to Jesus. My hand's too sore, my back's too sore, my friend's too paralysed for us to go home empty-handed. We have to get our friend to Jesus. I'm not going home empty-handed. And so with their paralysed friend, they push past the people. I mean, that would be conceived rude. Our young people went to Hillsong recently. And, and people are pushing in, and it's like rude. Everyone's upset, except Jesus. They push past their friends, they still can't get in. So now they've pushed past all the people, and they've got a wall. There's always going to be walls in the way. And so they're right. Where to from here? The only way is up. Someone should write a song about that. <laughs> Put an 80s tune to it and it'd be a hit. So right. One of the friends says, get paralytic Perry on my back. So he's like, Perry's on the back there. <laughs> they somehow use the stretcher that he's on as a ladder to get on the roof. And paralytic parry is saying, don't drop me. So you're kidding me, mate? At least if you fall, you're not going to feel any pain in your legs. I've got more to lose than you, mate. No disrespect to parry. But you imagine he's like, what are you doing? Guys, you're making a scene. Seriously, I appreciate the heart. Stop it. Parry's probably like, don't know, seriously, please, guys, don't know. I'm, I'm now officially embarrassed. And P.S., when we get on the roof, then what? There's no chimney, guys. We're not Santa Claus. I said, well, when we get, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And so they get on, somehow they get on the roof. I don't know how, they get on the roof. Maybe this friend's standing on his head. Come on, Parry, gee, you're killing me, man. Like, just get him up there. And now they're on the roof. Another blockage. And one of them has a bright idea. Let's go through the roof. Now, what you need to understand about the roofs of that time, they were made out of thatch and manure. Which says to me, sometimes you've got to get through the... <laughs> to get to Jesus, you've got to cut through the... What? Thatch. Oh, you guys are rude. Anyway. Sometimes you've got to get... Sometimes, Lord, we've got to get through the poo to get to you. And they start digging a hole in the roof. Do you know how mad that makes religious people? 
Do you know how mad it makes the owner of the house? <laughs> They're breaking every rule. And the only person that's happy is Jesus. The owner's going, dirt, dirt, all I see is dirt. And Jesus, and all I see is faith. You see dirt, I see faith. These men are, these boys are on mission. It's unconventional, granted. I've never seen this done before. But sometimes we've got to do things that have never been done before in order to reach people who have never been reached before. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.